There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10th and Grant's We still don't know who pulled the trigger. and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, retired NYPD sergeant with 27 years of service, tied out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad tonight. And I didn't retire tonight, but I'm thinking <laughs> who we have on the show tonight. We have a special guest tonight, and he's also another retired NYPD sergeant, but he happens to be a crime scene expert, which is so apropos to the story we're doing tonight, including ballistics and uh, we welcome sergeant john pellucci how you doing tonight john hey great it's great to be with you guys man great Good like to have you back here and i'm glad you changed your name of your company from uh forensics for free to, to csi experts because people think they can get your work for free you know yeah you know only for you guys like i said <laughs> otherwise and of course we have retired nypd detective and straight out of brooklyn phil grimaldi how you doing tonight phil I'm doing pretty good, Billy. Thanks for not forgetting me. <laughs> I wouldn't forget you. Guys, I'm just going to go over what we're going to be covering tonight. And uh, it's it's sort of taken a long time, you know. But here's the, the rust shooting, shooting. The weapon in the deadly rust film set shooting, according to the FBI, could not be fired without pulling the trigger. That was based on FBI forensic testing. Now, I don't know why everyone had to wait for the FBI because we and several other experts told you that was the facts nine months ago. But until the FBI puts their stamp of approval on it, I guess no one else believes it. FBI testing of the gun used in the fatal shooting on the movie set of Rust found that the weapon handled by actor Alec Baldwin could not be fired without pulling the trigger while the gun was cocked, according to a newly released forensics report. Baldwin had the gun while rehearsing a scene of the Western film at the Bonanza Creek Ranch in New Mexico in October when a shot fired killing cinematographer Elena Hutchins and injuring director Joel Souza. In December, Baldwin told ABC News he never pulled the trigger of the gun that shot Hutchins. The trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger, Baldwin said. The gun fired in testing only one time without having to pull the trigger when the hammer was pulled back and the gun broke in two different places, attorney Luke Nikas said in an email to CNN. The FBI was unable to fire the gun in any prior test, even when pulling the trigger because it was in such poor condition. The critical report is the one from the medical examiner who concluded that this was a tragic accident, Nikas said. This is the third time the New Mexico authorities have found that Alec Baldwin had no authority or knowledge of the allegedly unsafe conditions on the set, that he was told by the person in charge of the safety on the set that the gun was cold and believed the gun was safe, uh, Nikas told CNN. In summary of the post-mortem investigation into Hutchins' death, which was formally signed by the New Mexico chief medical investigator, the cause of death is listed as gunshot wound of the chest, and the manner of death is listed as an accident. That's a little strange. I mean, shouldn't the manner of death be listed as homicide? Well, I think, Billy, uh, it could be, but uh, they're 
they're perceiving, I guess, based on documentation that's probably submitted to the medical examiner that it was an accident. Uh, I'm not so concerned about that. I'm more concerned about the fact that why did it take 10 months for the FBI to uh, do the examination on this gun and come out with this report now? Now, there was a report that I saw on the news earlier talking about how it took so long. Uh, there was a They were dragging their feet getting the cell phone records from uh, Alec Baldwin. They didn't hit him with a subpoena right away. Uh, they may not even have some of the records as of today, which is completely ridiculous. And the reporter made the uh, statement, and I think it, it really fits, not my words, they had no problem with getting a search warrant and going to Mar-a-Lago a few days ago when they thought that there was some, you know, sensitive material at, at Trump's house. But uh, it took them 10 months to come up with this report. Now, this will be my words. Uh, I bet if Donald Trump accidentally shot somebody, they'd examine that gun within the first 24 to 48 hours. So, again, what is their politics playing into this? Because he's a, a, a friend of the, the current administration as opposed to a foe. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but uh, it doesn't seem, and John could probably speak to this. Does it take 10 months to examine a firearm and come up with the conclusion that we came up with, you know, months ago? That's a great point. That's a great point, Phil. And I, I think, uh, I think the manner of death is, uh, is not correct as well. So there's, there's a very, very important distinction to make here. You have two, everybody talks about accidental discharge, accidental discharge, right? You hear that all the time. It's not an accidental discharge if the firearm functions properly, right? Okay, so this, and anybody who's had any training, like I, I use, you know, real firearms for my training. I, I teach in front of, you know, a classroom full of people sometimes. If you don't check a firearm two or three times to make sure that it's not loaded, if you're going to be doing anything, that involves, you know, pulling a hammer back or anything like that. Uh, there's something wrong with you, right? Uh, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, in, in our world today, it's really not about what was done. It's about who did it. And I, and it's very clear that uh, Mr. Baldwin is getting special treatment here. So an accidental discharge, this is a fully functioning firearm, right? And I'm going to drive fire it. And I don't feel comfortable unless I check it again, right? So I'm going to pull the trigger. Uh, it doesn't hurt revolvers to dry fire them. When I pull this trigger, it's probably uh, about 12, 13 pounds of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to pull this trigger in double action. Okay, this is double action. You pull the trigger, two things happen. Hammer goes back, hammer drops. Double action, two things. All right? This is single action when I cock the gun. Right? So now when I pull the trigger, one thing happens. The hammer drops. Right? Very little pressure to to uh, to activate that, to pull that trigger and have that hammer fall. But being that this is a fully functioning firearm, all the safety features are intact and working. If I'm teaching in front of a class and for some reason I've got a live cartridge in one of the chambers, and uh, and I touch, you know, I'm showing them single action. I touch this trigger, which is very light and I fire it, that's not an accidental discharge. That's an unintentional firing, right? Okay, accident means that it's it's not functioning properly. So if I if I have it cocked and say I drop it or I do something, uh, you know, some somehow create an impact event or something that causes this defective firearm to discharge around, now that's an accidental discharge. Okay, so that's that's very important. So you guys, 
know better than I do because you're the ones who wait for that autopsy report and the manner of death to be listed on it. So now if we've got uh, an accident, that means that the firearm's not functioning. If the firearm is functioning, we have an unintentional discharge, which would fall under uh, probably a criminally negligent homicide, right? But regardless, it's a, it's a homicide. It's not an accident. So that's a very important distinction. So we, we could just start with that one right there, you know? You know, John, one of the most important things I think that, uh, say, the person that's not familiar with firearms has to understand is that that particular gun, and you just demonstrated it, will not go off unless you pull the trigger. And I, I know that you've demonstrated on a previous occasion, pulling the hammer back, and if you let go with your thumb, it still would not go forward. Because that's another thing that he, Alec Baldwin could be claiming. Oh, I pulled the hammer back, I let it go, and, and, the, and the gun fired. Yeah. But on that gun, that can't happen. Isn't that correct? That's correct. So that gun is a replica of a Colt. I'm a, I actually wore pants for this show, right, which is uh, – you know, unusual for people on on these things to, to wear. So now I've got this. This is a uh, this is a real Colt firearm, right? It's got a uh, it's got a single action. It's a single action type of uh, mechanism, right? So we just talked about single action and double action. This is single action. If I have the hammer forward and I'm pulling this trigger, nothing's happening. Nothing. Now watch the trigger when I pull the hammer back. See how the trigger. Now, now it's going to function. It's got some tension on it, and I'm dropping the hammer like that, right? So this gun is designed a couple different ways. So, so the way it's designed to be drawn in the old cowboy movies is as you're drawing it, see, I'm pulling the hammer back, and then you fire, right? So as you're drawing, you pull the hammer back. That's what a cowboy gun does, these single-action uh, Colts, which that was a replica of, right? So... Uh, let me get back in this chair here. So basically, what happens is when you want to load this, you notice that this doesn't have a swing-out cylinder. So this has, you remember these guns, right? You guys came on with revolvers. It has a swing-out cylinder, right? So that's how you load it. This cylinder doesn't swing out. You actually have to remove the whole thing if you're going to, uh, if you want to take the cylinder out, especially for cleaning. What it has is this mechanism. It's like a half cock, right? And it's got this loading gate here, right? So you see the chamber in there? You can see the chamber, right? Now, John, from the half cock position, can that trigger be depressed and cause the hammer to go forward or no? Great point. No. Look what I'm doing here, right? I'm pulling this thing. No. And here's the, here's the, so this is for loading. So you can advance it to the next chamber. It's also for unloading. Right, you pull, you you put this uh, ejector rod. You see it coming out there, right? So you unload it and you load it uh, one chamber at a time through this loading gate. Unless you want to pull the whole cylinder out, that's a whole other operation, right? So it's, when it's in half cock, that drops the cylinder stop, so it frees the cylinder to spin freely like this, right? Or actually in uh, in one direction, it'll it'll spin. So it accommodates the loading and unloading. Exactly right. So now look what happens. When I go to pull it further back, it's not going to drop past this half cock, right? This is a functioning firearm. So that's that's the difference between a single action. Uh, this is single action only uh, revolver, and a this is single and double action. But the big point is 
he's got it basically what he had was a cold replica is you have this this half cock on here and i'm not getting past that if these guns were so easy to discharge accidentally right then uh you'd have a lot of people shooting themselves in the leg play doing these cowboy movies or or even uh unintentionally uh letting rounds go those you know those blanks and stuff like that whatever they're carrying in the gun but that's another safety mechanism that's in these things so if they determine that the firearm's functioning then uh then he he had you know at the best an unintentional discharge and not an accidental discharge which adds uh certainly you guys would want to create some sort of a at least at least a reckless right a, a criminally negligent homicide type of charge well you know something i'm a little concerned with the fact that they didn't come back with calling this a homicide and homicide by definition just simply means death caused by another it does right. not have to be criminal in nature right. so for them to call this an accident it seems like the medical examiner and the district attorney are trying to distance themselves from possible criminal charges against those that are found to be negligent in this case. And from what we understand, there was a lot of negligence on this set, and not just with Alec Baldwin. To me, he's numero uno. He's the number one negligent person on this whole set. He pulled the trigger. Now it's confirmed. They got the FBI. You know, it's like the USDA, US Dairy Association stamp. They got the FBI stamp that he pulled the trigger. Now he is confirmed the number one negligent person. All of his crying on ABC with George Snuffleupagus, I didn't pull the trigger, is just total crap. And, you know, I, I also didn't appreciate the fact that that interview seemed to have been so set up to be almost like a an infomercial for him to extol his innocence instead of a hardcore interview. And I, I, it was even more upsetting to me when the next day George Stephanopoulos went on ABC and said, that was one of the toughest interviews I've ever, I was like, stop. That interview was pathetic. It was su such a softball interview that right. I wanted to call the station and say, are you kidding me? You know, John, I just want to make one uh, point. Now, you made a really, really good uh, argument for unintentional uh, firing of a firearm and accidental discharge. Now, I know we always categorize it. Let's say a uniformed police officer pulls his gun, begins to struggle with a perpetrator, and he accidentally uh, fires a shot from the gun. He squeezes the trigger. Let's say he falls back and going to keep himself from hitting the ground. He, he pulls the trigger and the gun goes off. Doesn't hurt anybody. We always refer to that as an accidental discharge. But I think you're making the real strong argument that if the gun is functional, it's not really an accidental discharge. It's more of an unintentional discharge. And uh, the accidental discharge would be if the gun is defective in some way, shape or form. Yeah, that's correct. So, uh, Forensically, they had to draw that that uh, distinction, right? Because uh, it, it's easy and it, it doesn't hurt anything for accident. Except when you, this is a very rare situation, you know, the 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 one that you described it is a fight over the firearm and stuff like that. And we used to always write accidental discharge or, or a guy yeah. even cleaning his gun, right? That was an accidental discharge. Uh, but so so now, like in the in the forensic world, for we have to make that that distinction because accident means that there's something wrong with the gun right unintentional means you got a fully functioning firearm what wasn't functioning was the person 
who actually caused it to discharge. You know, John, Irish Hewlett in the chat says, indeed, Baldwin is the number one culpable person, but who had chain of custody of the gun? That is also how a live round uh, got in that firearm is big question number two. However, pushing it back to Baldwin, he had a duty and a, a, a limited care to check that firearm. You don't take someone's word for it. Cold gun, cold gun. It's the actor's job to open up the firearm and make sure that it's a cold gun. And I've spoken to a few actors that told me that, in fact, is how they do it. They never take the word of the person that hands them the firearm that says cold gun. It's like, you know, oh, did, did you check the gun? Is it unloaded? You know, uh, you know. No, that's Billy, your responsibility. Billy, one of two things has to happen when the armorer hands uh, an act at a gun. And this is by the safety protocols put out by the television and motion picture industry. The protocols are that the armorer checks the gun first and the armorer either does another second physical check in front of the actor and say, this is the gun I'm handing you. Look, I'm going to open it and show you. Or the actor has the right to do that. Now, we had a broken chain of custody when the assistant, uh, the, the, uh, yeah, the assistant director, David Holtz, he handed uh, Baldwin the gun without checking it. He said cold gun. So the armorer, I think, is going to be held criminally responsible. The assistant director, as well as uh, Alec Baldwin, with not a homicide charge. But I think there's going to be reckless uh, manslaughter charges here. So the protocols are there. We know that the safety protocols were not... They were very, very loose on the set of this film. The, the protocols and the assistant director admitted that he he uh, handed the gun. He didn't check it properly, and he should not have been handling the gun. That was his statement when when the, on the day that this happened. So we have three breakdowns of safety protocols. And Alec Baldwin now, it has been determined by the FBI, there's no way that that gun could have fired without him pulling the trigger. Whether he's lying or whether he's not realizing that he pulled the trigger, the trigger was depressed on that gun because when they did the testing, it was fully functional. And as per the demonstration that John just did, it can't fire unless the hammer is pulled back and the trigger is pulled. Let's hear a little bit from Alec Baldwin here. I thought there were a number of misconceptions most of it from sources I really wouldn't concern myself about, but a couple that I did concern myself about where there were these authoritative statements about this is what happened. The sheriff's department hasn't even released a report to the DA yet. The reason I wanted to sit down with you is because I really feel like I can't wait for that process to fit to end in February, March. I mean, I'm not asking them to speed it up for my benefit. That's ridiculous. But I am saying that they're going to do what they need to do. And I wanted to come to talk to you to say that well, I would go to any lengths to undo what happened. I would go to any lengths to undo what happened. I think the big question, and the one you must have asked yourself a thousand times, how could this have happened? Well, there's two things I want to say about that. One is that when I talk about this, my concern is that I don't sound like I'm the victim because there is a victim. There's a woman who died and my friend got shot. He's my friend and she was a new friend. I met her and we worked together on the, some of the mapping out of what we we're going to do on the film, which, you know, in the movie terms, if you go make a movie with Scorsese, you and the DP don't sit down and they solicit your ideas of how to make the film. You know what I mean? 
in the case of Helena, we sat down collaboratively and talked a lot about what we wanted to do in that uh, a precious amount of time we had. But um, I, I, I want to make sure that I don't come across like I'm the victim because we have two victims here. And the second thing is, is that all of what happened on that day leading up to this event was precipitated on one idea. And that is that Helena and I had something profound in common. And that is we both assumed the gun was empty other than those, you know, uh, dummy rounds. You never assume because you make an ass of you and me. You learn that when you're an eight-year-old kid. I want to go into more detail on the day in a minute, but let's take a step back. What was it that drew you to this project in the first place, to Rust? I'd worked on a project with Joel before. Joel Susan, Susan, right. He, he did this movie, Crown Vic, that I produced. And uh, Joel and I stayed in touch. We're friends, and I loved Rust. He said, I want to send you this. And I read it, and I said, I love it. I love it. Rust, a low-budget Western, tells the story of an aging outlaw on the run with his young grandson. Baldwin, the film's star, is also one of the producers. Very excited. Very, very, so excited that we finally got this made because every independent film has many false starts. You know, and when it finally goes, you finally get, you feel like a plane. When you finally get some lift under your wings, it's very, very gratifying. I am a purely creative producer. My authorities as a producer are casting and script, which are actually married to the role of being a lead actor in a film. So you're not the kind of producer who's looking at the line item of each budget. No, 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 no. They're, they're, they're basically two types of producers who are who are really in charge of production people that raise the money and the people who spend the money my consultations or approvals were completely about casting and about the script i don't hire anybody in the crew I don't not even the cinematographer no one no no but he will apprise me of what he's doing and he'll say to me i got helena hutchins to be the dp i said oh, how do you feel about that are you excited i'm very excited she's wonderful what did you know about helena hutchins before she started working on this? i knew nothing about her until joel said to me i got her she was fantastic helena hutchins you know one of the things that uh, and if you if you're not familiar with this story alec baldwin was one of the uh, producers of this movie and uh, producers have come with it certain responsibilities. If you noticed in the interview, he was trying to distance himself from all responsibilities to do with safety and with uh, staffing and all that other stuff. He was just had to do with the artistic, the artistic um, uh, part of the production. Nothing. I had nothing to do with anything that could potentially come back on me and cause a lawsuit. <laughs> Billy, on-location producers have an added responsibility to protect the safety of the cr crew. Uh, that's like a gimme. That's just something that's assumed when, and we don't want to assume, but it's basically part of when you're an on-location producer, that's your responsibility. You have to be the one that's in charge of safety and you're responsible for it. And apparently this set was a disaster, as told by many of the people that worked as far as safety, it was a total disaster. It was a disaster as far as the people weren't getting paid. Many people quit during the uh, first week because uh, their accommodation, like that's all union stuff. But the safety stuff is, is all stuff that has to be taken into consideration. They were playing fast and loose with a lot of the safety regulations, obviously. Praised by many in the industry was a trailblazer in the field historically dominated by men. Make sure we don't see people The Ukrainian-born cinematographer quickly gelled with Baldwin. The people who watched The Daily said that her work was beautiful. 
She was someone who was loved by everyone who worked with and liked by everyone who worked with and admired. Get the Academy here. Get that Oscar ready. <laughs> Sorry. But admired by everybody who um who worked with her. Russ 21 Day Production began filming on October 6th at the Bonanza Creek Ranch, just outside Santa Fe, New Mexico. The ranch has long been a favorite location for filming westerns. We need a place to lay low. Things have a way of escalating out here in the west, with one thing leading to another. The day that I flew there, they'd been shooting for a week already. I come the following week on the 11th, that night of the 11th, I had dinner with Helena and Joel. And we talked about some of the compositions I was thinking of to... Uh, that was the first time you met? First time I met Helena, yeah. What was your first impression? When I met her, I knew she had that spark. I knew this, this I want to get she... to the point where he shows himself pointing the gun and swears that he never pulled the trigger. I think it might be at this point. What did she tell you? She said things like, remember, this is a, this is a blank round, so you have to create the discharge yourself because there's no projectile. So if you shot the gun, you go bang. When we roll the camera, you gotta go bang and have the gun gun snap back. You have to create that. She would give you little tips about firing. And she'd say to you, you know, when we're done, point the gun down. When we're done, you give the gun to me or to Halls, only those two people. Dave Halls was Rust's assistant director, also known as the first AD. Seen here in this IMDB photo, he was responsible for keeping the production on schedule. Sometimes we would be on a set there was a very, very cramped set, and they wanted people in that room on an as-needed basis. But if I'm holding the gun and they say cut, I then hand the gun to Halls if she's not there. Yeah, why Halls, not Hannah? Some people have said that only the armorer should be handling. No, 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 no. That, that's that's in, inaccurate. Meaning, in, in 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 the protocols of the business, meaning Hannah would to hand me the gun 99% of the time, you no, know, whatever the, the preponderance of the time. But when we would say cut, if Hannah was Away from the set, I would hand Halls the gun. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed had a dual role on set, armorer, and she was also the assistant prop master for the film. One of the things her attorney has said is that she was hired for two positions on the film and therefore was stretched in an inappropriate way. Did she raise any of those concerns with you? No, I assume that everyone who's shooting a lower budget film uh, is stretched, myself included. And I, I, I got no complaints from her or the prop department. I'm not sitting there when I'm getting dressed and ready to go to a scene and say, oh my God, the prop woman seemed very harried today. I didn't get a sense of that from, from, from any of the, the, the people on the film. The first time I heard that there was any problem with anybody uh, in the crew of the film was when Luber said, well, we have some issues here. Lane Luper, the first camera assistant, would email production managers a resignation letter later that night citing safety concerns. Quote, during the filming of gunfights on this job, things are often played very fast and loose. So far, there have been two accidental weapons discharges. He also wrote about concerns about reasonable rest and housing for local crew with long commutes to the set. When he quit, now the day before that happened, we wrapped and he came up to me and he said, 
thank you for the position you've taken on behalf of IATSE and the union on social media. I said, my pleasure. This photo, posted by Helena, showed the cast and crew in solidarity with IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, which had been on the verge of a strike. And Alec posted this on Instagram. And I want to say to the people in IATSE, do what you need to do. You want to go on strike? Go on strike. Because I'll tell you something about the executives. They don't give a about you. He said, because we have some issues here. I said, such as? And he said, my men need a better hotel room. There was no mention of safety issues. He didn't say anything about the accident of the charges on set? He didn't say anything about anything. Other. He goes, my men need better hotel rooms. I said, well, we're leaving. We're wrapping. Will you be here tomorrow? He said, yes. Because what I was about to do, which I've done on any number of films and TV projects, was to give more of the, my salary back to the production to pay for X. And I was about to say to him, let me know what it would be. He's such a working class hero. To be and be you guys in a house that's closer to the, how we can address your problem. I will be happy to contribute to, to that. The next day they were gone. So you had no sense from anyone on the set that people had been stretched to the point where safety was compromised? No, no. I never heard one word about that, no. You think maybe Stephanopoulos should have asked him about that letter then? You didn't know about the letter that he wrote, that there were safety issues? This, no, is a, this is an experienced journalist that's like throwing him not just softballs, but beach balls. Plus, producers told ABC News, Mr. Looper's allegations around budget and safety are patently false, which is not surprising, considering his job was to be a camera operator and he had absolutely nothing to do with or knowledge of safety protocols or budgets. Safety is always the number one priority on our films. When people say cutting costs, I don't say this with any judgment or any cynicism. Spielberg wants to save money. Tom Cruise wants to save money. Everybody who makes movies has a responsibility not to be reckless and careless with the money that you're given. You know, those are men who make movies that cost $205 million. And I'm making movies that cost $5 million. Or the question, though, is were costs being cut at the expense of safety and security? In, in, my, in my opinion, no, because I did not, now, I did not observe any safety or security issues at all in the time I was there. Thursday, October 21st, Baldwin posts a photo of himself in costume on Instagram. Back to in-person at the office. Blimey, it's exhausting. That morning, Looper and six other crew members walked off the set. Filming continued with a replacement camera crew. Scene 118 in the church was slated for after lunch. Everybody there was having a positive experience. People who are watching the show, people who are back home, you have no idea how unique an environment a motion picture set is. It's kind of, there's an instant familiarity. The amount of care, these are people who are professionals who have really good jobs in a field they love. And I looked at all these people and, and I see how hard they work. They're so hardworking and they're so conscientious. And you're around people and you're part of one of the great collaborative processes in the world, movie making. Everyone moving like a watch to get everything done. And when you kind of, I, I don't make that many movies anymore because movie making demanded that I travel and I didn't want to leave my family. 
all these movies I made, I stayed home. I didn't want to go. If I went away, I went away for a week. To leave my family for four weeks and go shoot this movie, shoot this movie, that was a big deal. And I'm sitting on this, this pew. And so help me, God. I sat on that pew right before they called lunch. And I said, this movie has made me love making movies again. Because I used to love to make movies. I did. You know, I worked with people once. I was going to do the movie The Edge. And uh, they called me and said they got Tony Hopkins to do the film. What do you make of it? Yeah, look, if we're here. And I started sobbing. I just started sobbing because I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have a chance to work with this guy. Any chance you can go easy on me? When they cast me in It's Complicated with Meryl, I thought, I'm going to get to go make a movie with her. All right, it's getting a little sickening. With, uh, that we're getting a little off um, topic. He sounds like a victim, isn't he, Well, yeah, no, he's also like trying to like, it's like an infomercial for him to take blame off of him. Alec, you pulled the trigger and killed Helena Hutchins. Let's get back to that, you know? And yeah, it's yeah. just, and it's and Snuffleupagus is there. It's just letting him go wherever he wants. It's like, you know, John, one of the things that, again, that most people want to know is how the hell did that live round or, or live rounds, plural, get on this movie set? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. I'm not sure what their protocols are. I, I was reading a little bit up on it and, uh, they have like different types of uh, of cartridges that they use. One is is like a blank uh, where it's got some sort of powder. You have a primer to initiate the powder, and then you don't have anything that looks like a bullet at the end of the cartridge, right? So uh, this is actually a, a I believe it's a forty five Colt. So so here's this is a, a, a this this is a cartridge case, right? So on top of the cartridge case. Uh, goes a bullet, and then in the back you have a primer. So the firing pin strikes the primer. The primer is explosive. Powder gunpowder is not explosive. It burns rapidly, right? So the but the primer has explosive because it has to be initiated upon impact, right? So the primer uh, ignites the powder. The powder burns. There's a bullet that's uh, crimped into the edge of this cartridge case, and that's when the pressure builds up, and then the bullet will be discharged down the barrel. Right. So some of these will have. So now if you're looking, if you're looking down, you know, if I'm pointing a gun at you, you can see uh, that there's no there's no uh, cartridges in this chamber. Right. So it's doing everything backwards. here. You can see there's no cartridges. You can see this guns that these chambers are empty. Right. So some cartridges they have uh, have sort of an effect where it's like a dummy bullet on top of it. Right. So here's that. This is a complete cartridge, right? So you have the case and you have the bullet, you have the primer, and you can see the difference between these two primers. This one has a dent in it because it's been fired, right? And this one doesn't. So, so if you look down the, uh, if you look at the cylinder, right, you can see that these, that you can see this one has uh, what looks like a bullet at the end of it. So they, they make some sort of a blank that gives you that appearance so if somebody's you know if the camera is looking down uh where it can see the chambers of the firearm it's not showing you an empty space so that was another type of cartridge and they have color codes and they have like some of them have a hole actually in the side of the cartridge I'm, and i'm going on memory so this might not be 100 percent accurate but that's that's basically the gist of it right i think there should be another like so so your, your question bill was what are live rounds doing on that set 
And I, the answer has to be, they shouldn't be allowed on that set at all, right? Uh, I, I took a course with uh, former ATF agents all about different types of firearms and uh, their mechanisms, how they operate. And these are all police officers, right? So we're people, we're very used to carrying guns. We're used to unloading guns. Uh, we're used to pointing them at things at the range. We're used to understanding that the business end of this gun is a whole, like when I, when I do, uh, I was just doing some experiments, uh, some research, and I tell everybody, I said, imagine that this is a wall, right? And you never want to be anywhere in front of this wall. You're not allowed to be anywhere in front of that wall, right? These are these things that are ingrained in our heads. So police officers taking this course with ATF agents, you have a bunch of people that, that are very familiar and very comfortable handling firearms. So that doesn't mean mistakes aren't made. So when I took this course, you could have your firearm with you, but the ammunition source had to be removed, not only removed, but not in your pocket or anywhere. You were not allowed to have live ammunition in this course that's full of professionals. Now, I, I heard Baldwin say he's got some training, right? These guys, they use all the wrong nomenclature. They, you know, what, what, what's their training like? Our training is is far superior. But here we are barred from having live live uh, ammunition in this classroom. So, And there's a classroom. It's not a big set where people... Uh, could be off there. I heard that they were plinking, right? Like shooting cans or something like that with these. Yeah, yeah. So somebody knows that there's live ammo on the thing. And and how does that? So there, when he said lunch, I'm thinking liquid lunch, right? So uh, this whole thing takes place after lunch. I, I would really be interested in what happened during that lunchtime. I mean, that's probably where everything went sideways for this whole thing, right? Uh, these are movie people, right? They're you know, not strangers to intoxicants, you know, so. Uh, so John, so, can I make a point about yeah. you, know, you? You showed how they, they do this a lot of times in the movies with the revolver. They get a close up shot of a revolver and they want to show that what looks like that there's a, a live round in the chamber uh, in the uh, in the chambers of the revolver. Now, uh, Steve Goddell, when he was on, who's re retired from the movie TV unit, now works on productions told us that when they do use that type of round, there's no primer in it, there's no gunpowder in it, and the way that they, they can discern whether or not it's a live round or it's a, a, a dummy round that's used for just the effect to show that it looks like there's a round inside the, the, the cylinder of the gun is there's a BB inside the gun. So they would physically take it out and show the actor, this is not a live round, and shake it. If you hear that BB moving around inside the shell casing, you know that there's no gunpowder inside and obviously there's no primer. So that what they'll do is they'll put that particular type of round into the firearm so that it'll appear in the, in the chambers that uh, from a, you know, from a movie standpoint, a camera standpoint, that it looks like there's a real uh, set of bullets in the gun. So that's one of the things. And then they do have the other types of rounds, which are a gun that'll fire blanks, which is a full charge, but there's no projectile on it. It has the primer as well as the gunpowder. It's a limited amount of gunpowder. It's not a full charge. And then you have uh, bullets that have just a primer where I think Baldwin was talking about that, where you have to, you have to create the kickback of, yeah. of the gun. Yeah, so those are the three different types that they use that we, they're supposed to be using. And then uh, Steve Goddell also told us that in New York, 
they're not allowed to use uh, a live fire gun, a gun that can actually fire a projectile. What they do is they take uh, a, a live gun and they put a piece of steel, they weld a piece of steel inside the barrel. So that way, even if a live round does get in one of the chambers, it's not able to fire. That's interesting. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, I mean, that should be protocol across the whole country uh, yeah. in the movie business. I agree. And th those are, those are really important things to know about. I mean, like you said, so if they take the primer out, right. When I, when I open this, I don't have anything in here, uh, this loading gate, but you would see, um, actually the head stamp or the, or the bottom part, right. This is like the head stamp where the primer is right. the base of the, uh, of the cartridge case. Right. So you would see that. Right. So now if somebody hands you a gun, first of all, you never take anybody's word for stuff like that. Right. I mean, I, I feel I, I'm so like you, you saw, I just put, I, I put a live round into one of these chambers. Right. And I'm checking this thing constantly before I even close a cylinder. These are just things that you do. I mean, how could you, how could you have any sort of sense of safety and responsibility? John, uh, let me make a quick point about that. Could you hold up the revolver again with it closed, with the with the cylinder closed? Yeah. Okay. Just looking at that, you can only see four of the six chambers. Two are blocked by, I guess, the barrel side and the, underneath the barrel. So you yeah. need to open that gun and look inside those cylinders yeah. to make sure that those chambers are empty. Correct. That's right, and, yeah, Again, uh, listen, it's supposed to be done several times before they say action on the set of a film. They didn't follow those protocols. And I think all three of those people, Baldwin, the AD, and uh, the, the armorer are all responsible for the death. Yeah. I think Donna, so. you know, Donna Lehman in the chat asks, bottom line, will or should Baldwin be charged with a crime? In my, my opinion, opinion yeah. and my opinion doesn't matter at all. I think he should be charged with either manslaughter or criminally negligent homicide. I believe it was an accident, but should he be charged? I believe yes. Should he go to jail or prison? No, I don't believe he should, but I think he should be charged because this is a serious matter. This was gross, gross negligence. Um, will he be charged? It's nine months already. What are they waiting for to pull this trigger? Uh, metaphorically, pull the trigger of indictment. What is this district attorney waiting for? This happened on October 21st, 2021. Phil, what do you think? You think he should be charged? Oh, and will he? I, I do believe that he should be charged as well as the armorer and the AD that handled, handed him the gun. But I was watching uh, news accounts of uh, the, the latest breaking details earlier today, and there was a lawyer that was on a talking head from uh, cable news, and he said potentially, now I don't agree with this, but he said potentially, Alec Baldwin could be charged with obstruction of uh, governmental uh, administration for obstructing by lying, saying that he didn't pull the trigger. Now, I think that it could be construed that perhaps he didn't realize he pulled the trigger in the moment. So I don't think that that would ever stand. I don't think he's going to get charged with that. But I do think he's culpable for, as you said, uh, reckless manslaughter, criminally negligent homicide, and everyone that had their hands on that gun that day or was responsible for the care and safety of that gun should be charged. This woman lost her life and it's unnecessary. It shouldn't have happened. Yeah, John, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great, a great point. I, I think uh, this is one of those things, man, you know, where you start with a little bit of BS and then it snowballs, right? So if this guy had, had the decency, now you see that, you see that interview, how much post-production went into that before it made it to the air. But while he's talking, and putting his head in his hands, there's music playing. Come on, you, you, you're trying to like 
evoke uh, sympathize for this guy. Yeah. So it's completely uh, a one-sided operation. It's that is also a production. That's not an interview. This is an interview, right? So I mean, if if uh, if we did this three hours ago, and as I'm talking, you start playing that dramatic music, or you know, maybe the theme to Jaws or something, and I can, you know. Right. Right. So that's a drama. That's not an interview. And for him to go out there. And I, I think what really uh, makes this, uh, you know, uh, like like disgraceful is is the fact that he comes out with all this BS that that can easily be proved through forensic testing. And Phil, I, I remember there was a two part question you asked me in the beginning. Uh, one was about uh, the speed of, of an operability test. Right. It's very, uh, and you guys remember when we had high profile cases, they get bumped to the front of the line, right? That, right. It was, that's just how it was. I mean, our, our, our firearms analysis guys, uh, which is formerly the ballistics unit, uh, the, those guys are overwhelmed. They're completely overwhelmed. They, uh, if you have a case that's this high profile and they get a gun, they say, this guy's saying that he didn't pull the trigger. They could tell you, in, in, you know, if you want to have it, your your work checked, you, could, you know, within half an hour, you can have two examiners say this gun uh, is fully functioning. It's a fully functioning firearm. Whatever he tells you about not pulling the trigger is BS, right? So now if he had had, if he had been grown up enough to say, you know what, yeah, you know, I, I could understand him passing the buck a little bit to the people who had the firearm before him. Right, sure. because that is that is a problem. Somebody hands you a, a a gun that's loaded with a live cartridge on a movie set. That's a that's a really big problem, right? So and, and you know maybe he's worried about civil liability. I, I don't think he's too worried about the fact that he killed somebody as as much as he is about uh, you know where he's going to live if they if it comes out that he knew he pulled the trigger, right? But so but in the beginning to come out with all this BS that a simple operability test of the firearm is going to shatter right it's uh it's one of those things and you know we right now we live in a world where you can be in a bubble and only hear what you want to hear so people who love alec baldwin they're going to have people that are going to tell you all kinds of stories about how he's got no blame you know whatsoever so he puts the story out there uh he's going to have people that's that support it he's, they're going to find talking heads with you know biased opinions that are going to you know, make something up that could be helpful for them and stuff like that. But the truth is going to come out of the laboratory. That's that's the whole point with this stuff. I mean, if you look, well, at John, it, you know what 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 many people always say is that uh, the science is what's going to prove whether he pulled the trigger or not, and that's what is presented the science. So his word going against the science really virtually means nothing. It should, you know, and, and it's funny that that word kind of gives you uh, well. Ajita, right now when you hear science, you can't go against the science, right? So it's like, yeah. you know, that's been... Well, that's, that's the argument. That's the argument. But yeah. in this instance, the science is uh, proving... This is provable science, I think. Like that someone pulled the trigger. Yeah, and John, let, let me ask you this, John. From your experience, since you are an expert in the field, how many times do you think that they fired this gun? You think, uh, you know, roughly, could we say a couple of dozen times that they fired it or less? Uh, yeah, that, I don't know. I, that's actually a really good question. Here, here's the thing, and you had mentioned that there might have been, after they did their testing, there might have been some sort of malfunction, right? Uh, these guns you see in the old westerns, and, and I'll, I'll, do, I'll do this. 
because you know it's 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 important. So I'm I'm checking real quick, make sure that all these chambers are empty, right? Uh, so basically, what happens is, you know, the old westerns, right? So you have the you have the guy that that fans the gun, right? And these guns can be fanned like that, right? So so what what that is, you know, so so when you draw the gun, right? You draw this thing, and as you're drawing it, you're pulling the hammer back, and that's that's how these guys uh shoot it in the old west there's another thing that they do is you can hold the trigger like this and you you can pull the hammer back and it'll drop because the trigger's depressed you're right and, and it'll it'll fire every time i do this right so that's called fanning and uh i think that if you have you know it's like it's like that's why you don't buy a rental car you know because uh People are beating on it, right? This is nobody's gun. This gun belongs to the movie company or whoever it belongs to. And if you fan it, you could fan it like that. But you're putting a lot of undue stress on parts. This gun was not made to be fanned like that. So, uh, but sometimes, like, because I, I use this gun for demonstrative work like we're doing now. And, and uh, I have a little range here. And I've done that to show people that you can fan the gun like that, right? So... Of course, if these guys are out there playing around with live cartridges, don't you think somebody's going to want to do that? That that you've seen in all the questions. You, you know? know the big the big thing on this case, and and there's still a lot of unanswered questions. To me, the big unanswered question is again, why hasn't the district attorney uh, filed charges yet, and why has no one been indicted yet? It's been over nine months. The information's come back from the FBI that someone did pull the trigger. There's been some gross negligence on the set. Is the district attorney going to let this case just become like drop the criminal case and just let the civil case be the justice in this case? Well, can you can you charge somebody when the manner of death is accidental? I've never heard that before in my life. Right. Coming out of the medical examiner's office, it was an accidental. Where where does that come from? Right. And they would they would have to wait for it's like uh, you know one of the other things that we would rush through in New York City was uh, was suicide cases right the guy shoots himself there's a bullet in him there's a gun on on the crime scene right you guys have been through this dozens of times I'm sure you got to match that bullet to that firearm right so those go to the front of the line right so uh, <laughs> the medical examiner is waiting for those results to put his manner of death. On, on the report right because if that the bullet that's inside the dead guy didn't get fired from the gun that's on the scene that's the only gun that's on the scene we got to you know as henry lee said something wrong you know so uh seriously something something's wrong so he's going to need for him to declare that this is an accident he's going to need a report that says the firearm wasn't functioning functioning properly and that's the only way this could have been an accident yeah, I mean, I, that to me, that's baffling. I just want to put a little bit on of Matthew Hutchins on the screen because this was important to show how he felt. This is the husband of Helena Hutchins, uh, how he felt in regards to this case and this investigation. And was just looking for a way through the storm. Was Did he seem distraught during that time? There were a lot of emotions for yeah. sure on yeah. both sides. 
Hutchins, who's filed a civil suit against Baldwin and other producers and crew members on the film, now expressing outrage with Baldwin's recent interview, where he says the actor shifted blame over the death of his wife, Helena. I feel that 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 uh, someone is responsible for what happened. And I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. But watching him, I just felt so angry, just so angry to see him talk about her death so publicly in such a detailed way, and then to not accept any responsibility after having just described killing her. He said, essentially, he felt grief, but no guilt. Almost sounds like he was the victim. And hearing him blame Helena in the interview and and shift responsibility to others and and seeing him cry about it, I just feel like, are we really supposed to feel bad about you, Mr. Baldwin? So do you think that the, the majority of the blame lays on Alec Baldwin? The idea that the person holding the gun, causing it to discharge, is not responsible is absurd to me. Every individual who touches a firearm has a responsibility for gun safety. But gun safety was not the only problem on that set. There were a number of industry standards that were not practiced, and it, there's multiple responsible parties. The suit, which alleges at least 15 safety practices were disregarded on set, claims there was a wider culture of cost-cutting that ultimately led to Helena's death. In a statement, Baldwin's attorney says any claim that Alec was reckless is entirely false. In your mind's eye, what does justice look like? Yeah, we're pursuing justice every way we can. You know, with the lawsuit seeking to hold uh, accountable the people who are responsible for Helena's death, which was totally preventable. In the end, you know, justice won't bring Helena back, but maybe the memory of her can help keep people safe and prevent something like this from ever happening again. The American Film Institute, AFI, where Helena received a graduate degree in cinematography, established a scholarship in her honor. You feel her spirit in here at AFI? Oh, she spent many hours here. Yeah. So, folks, as you can see, the big thing is going to be the civil suit. Uh, and many people in the chat are asking who loaded the gun. Uh, it's going to either be the armorer, the armorer, Miss Gutierrez, or it could be it could be the the uh, assistant director. Uh, so it's either one or the other of those. So. They are certainly going to be considered for uh, liability and maybe even a criminal charge. As we said, we don't know what's on this district attorney's mind, especially when it came back from the medical examiner's office, rather than that this was a homicide, this was an accident. I've never, ever heard a medical examiner come back with that this was a homicide. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. And we also have a Patreon if you want to support us. We have three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel memberships, which you could become part of our, our little club we have. The folks in the green font, they're members of our YouTube channel, and they help um, support and pay for police off-the-cuff real crime stories. You know, John, I, I find, I mean, your, what you, your presentation was fascinating. Uh, it, it gives you... 
you know, I always have that that saying in my mind that was drilled into me at the range is make sure your gun is empty, do a physical and visual inspection. And I yeah. always that is that's one of those things that is just it's almost like to a squat, move. And right, right away that brings you back to Nobody the police academy. Is, but we like, know no one else would know what the hell we're talking about. It, but if someone says to a squat, move, you know what the hell that means because you're in the police academy for six months and that's you knew you were going to do push-ups or some other exercise. And uh, That's 40 and, years know, ago for me. It sounds like it was yesterday. Right, exactly. And yeah. that whole thing at the range, do a, a physical and a visual inspection yeah. state will stay with me for the rest of my life. I got to grab another prop for that one. So that's, uh, yeah, so, so essentially the, the physical inspection, so, so that's more for uh, geared towards the semi-automatic, right? So, uh, so a physical inspection, right? We do a visual. So when we open this up, sometimes a cartridge. So this is uh, over here. This is a, this is actually a fake gun, right? This is uh, what they call an inert firearm. It never was a firearm, but it's a pretty good replica. And over here, you'd have uh, an extractor, right? Which catches the groove on the cartridge and extracts the uh, the discharge cartridge case, right? So, so you know, so an extractor. So when you when you drop the way we would unload, you drop the magazine, right? And and then you would, uh, you know, you, you pull the slide back. And you, and you always want to rack the slide numerous times, right? There's always a chance that that something's not uh, not functioning properly with this extractor. And there could, there could still be a cartridge that's in the chamber, right? And so the chamber on this is at the end of the barrel. So the physical inspection is stick your finger in there. Is there a hole there or is there something flat? If there's something flat, there's something wrong, right? So there could there could still be a cartridge in there. So that's your physical inspection. Uh, with the revolver, like for when, then we, when, you know, when we had revolvers, it was very easy. It's very easy to see that this is empty, right? Very easy to see. This one, not so much, right? For me to take this thing apart, it, it's a whole process. You know, I got to. I got to uh, pull this pin out of here. I got to have the, the, the gate, uh, loading gate open up. And then I can take this out and I, and I can look at the cylinder, right? But you're not, you're not going to do that every single time. You're going to want to go, you know, kind of click through and make sure that each chamber is empty. It's, it's a lot more of a cumbersome uh, task to, to verify that this is an unloaded firearm uh a single action firearm like this one than it is with the revolvers that we used to carry right and also with a uh with a semi-automatic like we just saw but the whole thing is it, 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 you have to have that that mindset you can't you can't be uh so complacent like first of all why did the gun have to be loaded with anything this wasn't even a live shot right this was a rehearsal why in the world does it have to be loaded with anything, right? And then, and then for him to say uh, that he didn't even after he fired it, he thought maybe she passed out or something. But didn't even say something like that. Like he didn't, he still didn't know that he. Yeah, had he, shot. he acted like she she went down and he thought she fainted. He wasn't sure that she was shot. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, so we got all that. But the whole thing is, this is another one of my little. Uh, displays here let me see if i could get it where you can see it pretty good this is uh this where am i this is a 45 colt that's a big piece of lead right there you know that's when that so now basically so that uh goes into the barrel right 
it get the, the lead is filling the lands and grooves or, or it might have a jacket on it right so that's where all your pressure is coming there's always a little bit of the gases that escape before the bullet leaves if you ever see a slow motion of a gun uh being fired you look at the muzzle you'll see some of the gases coming out and then the bullet comes out but then behind that there's that's where all that's where all the pressure is so you have all that pressure building up when you have a bullet that's in the barrel right so when that bullet leaves the barrel you have significantly more recoil so if you're used to firing blanks on a set and you shoot that thing and and you have no idea that something other than a blank was in there something's wrong right he didn't have to create the recoil with that round yeah exactly right that exactly and, and you know what maybe maybe if you were just firing live cartridges during lunch it wouldn't have hit you that that was a live round in there so you know mm -hmm. what i mean so but anyway so this is pretty cool if you look you can see that this is uh this is the 45 over here i hate doing stuff backwards man and if you look at it compared to these other rounds this it, it's a big a big sucker you know that thing the, the only other thing is this this is a 50 caliber over here right uh but that's a big piece of lead man that's a big piece of lead that's a very uh very powerful cartridge that's going to give quite a bit of recoil and it's going to do quite a bit of damage as we saw it completely perforated her body and then penetrated another person right into the shoulder of uh, joel souza yeah. yeah so you know for him to put to play that whole act of uh he had no idea that this was a live a live round that went off then you know something's something's wrong once again you know Exactly. Phil, I want you to go to a quick commercial here. Joe Murray, attorney, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. And if you would like to advertise on Police Off the Cuff, Real crime stories, you can email us at police off the cuff, the number one at gmail.com. That's police off the cuff, number one at gmail.com. Our rates are very reasonable, and we have a national as well as an international audience. You know, I guess, you know, John, uh, your presentation was uh, fascinating excellent. as usual. Really, and I'm, really I'm excellent. I'm glad you graduated from forensics for free to forensics where you get paid, CSI Experts Incorporated. And you know, there's still a lot of questions here, and and, and to us, to train law enforcement, and I'm baffled as to why there has if all right, if you're not going to charge anybody, let everyone know. All right, let people know. No, yeah. there's going to be no charges. We felt there was an accident, but I think it, I feel it was an accident too. But I just feel there was such gross negligence on this set that you can't ignore that as a district attorney and just say, oh, okay, we're going to let the civil case take over and the civil case punish the people that were that did wrong and caused this shooting but you know miss katira is the armor she has no money they're not going to sue her uh david halls he probably has no money the only one with deep pockets is alec baldwin 
Well, you know what, Billy, there's also the insurance that they take out when they do a production. So uh, I, I really feel, though, that, you know, Baldwin can say he didn't pull the trigger. They could say the gun was operable. We know that already. We called that a long time ago. But had they followed the necessary safety protocols and taken the round out and they, you know, even though it was rehearsal, say we're going to use what looks like a real round and shake it and say, wait a second, there's no BB in here. Had Baldwin done that before the either the AD or the armorer handed him the gun, it was the AD that handed him the gun, had he done that. So everyone across the line failed to follow the safety protocols, which led to this woman's death. And I feel it's criminally responsible as well as civilly. I think the civil suit is going to be a slam dunk, but there definitely needs to be criminal charges. Even if there's no jail time, it needs to be criminally responsible. They need to be held. So that way we set a standard for the industry throughout the country. We've had a lot of these shootings on this particular movie. There were two or three other, uh, we'll call them, Inadvertent shootings, accidental shootings, Actually, whatever you want to call them. But shots were fired. So bottom line is, is that they need to set the standard. Iris Hewlett, she did not need to die, but for protocol violations and Baldwin not verifying it was a cold gun before pulling the trigger. Can't be an accident unless gun is proven to be defective. Very good, Iris. I, I, John uh, Pellucci is going to give you 100 on the end of semester <laughs> test here. That's right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, from the we covered this this case a lot in the very beginning, and it you know, look, when someone does something wrong, and they're going to be held either criminally liable or civilly liable. Of course, they start making up stories and and providing a defense for themselves, and even he was he's doing it on in the media, which is, look, we learned uh, from being um, police officers and and from studying the law. The best thing to do is to shut your mouth and keep it shut. You know, you talking on social media or on TV, uh, it's not helping your cause. Just keep your mouth shut. That helps your cause. He would look a lot less narcissistic and a lot less like a fool had he kept his mouth shut and just showed some sympathy and compassion and taken some responsibility. That woman is not going to be at the dinner table tonight with her son and her husband. She's gone forever. And, you know, there was some uh, Twitter, um, whatever it was, some type of social media where his wife was basically saying, oh, oh, is me. My husband, uh, hasn't he gone through enough? Well, I think that the family that lost their, uh, their loved one is going through something terrible. And, Bill, I agree with you. Had he kept his mouth shut, this would be being looked at in a different eye, so to speak. Whether or not there's going to be criminal charges still uh, remains to be determined. I feel, and I think we're unanimous, we all feel there should be criminal charges just based on on all of the the flagrant uh, violations of the safety protocols. Absolutely. John, do you have any uh, last words? Yeah, no, no, those are all good points. And I, like you said, I think... Uh, that, that him running his mouth like that was the worst thing that he, that he could have done, you know, but, but like I said, there's going to be people that can still stay in that bubble. Look, he said this. And then this, this expert from out of nowhere said this, you know, it's like, uh, since I retired, I probably had a uh, hundred cases. I've only written a few reports and I've only testified a few times because a lot of what you find is not always helpful, right. To, to, to the case. Right. Forensics is about finding the truth. That's that's all it's about. And you'll see labs, uh, you know, maybe there's some guy that's a real despicable character. And, you know, if, if that fingerprint could match this fingerprint, that would we would put this guy away. But you know what? These guys, they're out to find the truth. That's where we all got to be. 
We all got to we all got to look at this thing a certain way and say, listen, this guy went out there to create this illusion, right? And didn't he say this? This was the other thing too that I'm thinking about is you pointed a gun, loaded or unloaded, at a human being, right? And we don't do that. Like we don't point unloaded guns. Like when I'm when I'm in front of a class and I know I have checked this gun ten times and I might have even clicked my way through all of the through all of the chambers and I know that there's no way this gun's going to fire. I still will not point it at a person in the class. You don't do that, right? Uh, we're we're in a I think in this electronic era, I can't see. He didn't he say something like, "She was like, oh yeah, no, point it, point it at me, right?" Did he say something like that? Did we, did we watch, I remember we watched something like that. Yeah, like, self-serving like, statement to get yeah, you know, yeah. the, the onus off him. But John, I got to tell you something. When you were pointing that ca- that gun at the ca- at the your camera and it was pointing at me, I was feeling uncomfortable with yeah. that. So I, I, men, I feel uncomfortable doing that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's because we have ingrained in our brain safety, safety, safety from the first day that you get to uh, the, you know, the firing range. Everything's about safety. And that feeling is not a good feeling having that gun pointed at. Yeah. You, no, you exactly. know, John, even uh, checked it too, you know, even, even like the, the thousands of people we've uh, arrested or in arrest oriented situations and you've pointed your gun at them your finger wasn't on the trigger. Right. We were trained that also. Like, you don't put your finger on that trigger unless the shit is on. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you could be startled, and if your finger's on the trigger, you could accidentally pull the trigger. And you don't, again, that's, I guess, an accidental discharge, according yeah. to the, the no, John Pellucci CSI no, expert thing. Unintentional firing. Oh, an unintentional. So, okay, yeah, I failed. Look, I, I had one question, and I failed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Iris got your beat, man. There's another thing what they call sympathetic response, right? So, so like, uh, you know, in the heat, in the heat of the moment, there's so much stuff going on, right? Our, our memories are, uh, you know, what they call flashbulb memory, right? Uh, you, you, you go into a mode where you resort back to your training. If you train really well to have your finger not on the trigger, that's one thing. But some, you know, if, if it gets to the point where we're at a threat level, like if you're holding a guy, right? So here's one of the things. Let's see if I can get both my hands in the picture. You're holding a guy, right? You ever had that with a tarp and, and he's got his hands in, in his pocket and you're like, you know, shit, this guy could come out with a gun and whack me. And so now you're like, you know, get that hand out of your pocket. Get that hand out of your pocket. If you get to the point where it's like now your finger's on the trigger because you think like I might have to shoot this guy, right? There's what they call a sympathetic response for, for every uh, every bit of pressure I'm putting on him with this hand to hold him, I'm sympathetically starting to squeezing. Him. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. You know what I mean? And that, you know, that is an, you didn't mean it to happen. So it's unintentional. That's really unintentional. That's really unintentional. That's right. a, well, it's, all, it's almost like what they call, John, it's almost like what they call contagious shooting. And we've seen that at the range where they would say, all right, fire three rounds on the whistle. And someone boom, and the next thing you know, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, everyone started shooting because they heard the one guy shoot, yeah. and that's called contagious shooting. And I guess that could happen in the street too, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that that happens. Yeah, there's some. There's been some cases like that. You know, I think, uh, you know, the Diallo case might have been that. That might have been something that was raised. You know, uh, there, there's, you know, so. So the question, the question for me is like, you have a matter of death that's an accident on a death certificate. 
uh, can, can you still charge somebody, right? And would you give would you give a police officer the same courtesy you're giving Alec Baldwin? I doubt it. You know, you know, I, I just early on in in uh, a few years ago, uh, there was a, a California police officer who who shot and killed a perp, and Alec Baldwin said, "Oh, I wonder what it feels like to uh, wrongfully kill somebody." And the California officer was cleared. The shooting was found within department guidelines. Within, And I just felt like, you know, here's this guy giving his asinine opinion. And how, I wonder how he now feels what it's like to wrongfully kill somebody. You know, the yeah. old what goes around comes around syndrome, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's but, a, uh, a terrible situation to be in. And I got to tell you the truth. Uh, Alec Baldwin is as narcissist as he is. I don't think he should go to jail for 20 years based on this. I think in his heart of hearts, it was accident, but it was caused by flagrantly violating safety protocols. Well, I a hundred percent agree with you. I do not like Alec Baldwin. I do not think he should go to jail. I think this was an accident. However, I think he is liable because he pulled the trigger and it, that's been proven, you know? And, uh, Look, I, I don't think he will go to prison. I think he's going to part with some some uh, dead presidents from his personal stash in the civil suit. But uh, that's we're the calling for accountability, Billy. That's all. We just want accountability in this yeah. case. And I think the family of Helena Hutchins feels the same way. They want some justice. They want accountability for what happened. That woman should not have gone to work on that day and died. Period. End of story. No way. So, guys, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. Uh, we pretty covered this pretty damn well i think you know uh we obviously have our opinions and uh sometimes they squeak out maybe where they shouldn't but uh this is not abc news or cnn uh, this is police off the cuff real crime stories so folks i want to wish everyone a great night and thank you so much for tuning in john always great to have you as a guest and phil Thanks. have a great night thank you so much john and everybody out there stay safe one episode Ain't enough